This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Hope everyone had a great long weekend. We are not alarmists here, but the spike in gun violence in Toronto is alarming. There were 11 shootings in the city since Friday, the latest one this morning. And the brazenness of these crimes is something we have rarely seen. Now, there are some who say this is directly tied to the end of carding. Most notably, Peel Police Chief uh, Jennifer Evans has correlated those two events. Presumably, it goes like this. Gang members used to have to avoid carrying their guns because they knew they could be stopped and searched. That meant they had no weapons on them if they happened to see a rival gang member that they wanted to shoot. Well, now they carry guns with impunity and open fire the same way. Don't seem to care who is around, little children, whatever. Uh, So our homicide rate is now higher than New York's while theirs is dropping. I would like to hear your take on this. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, joining me, Mike McCormick, who is the president of the Toronto Police Association, and Marco Mendicino, the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Justice and the Attorney General. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Welcome. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, let's start with Mike McCormick. Uh, First of all, is there some kind of gang war that is now going on? Yeah, there is. And and we've seen a steady proliferation of gangs, uh, you know, in Toronto, just like in North America, across the world. And and yeah, there is a gang war going on. But what we have seen is a steady increase in shooting victims. And and I know we talk a lot about the homicide rate and the, the amount of people are killed by gunfire. But the real telling uh, statistic is the amount of people who are shooting victims. And, you know, I've heard the chief and I've heard the mayor say, oh, well, you know, we expect these surges or blips or whatever they call them. But that's not what we're experiencing here. We've seen a steady increase in shooting victims since 2014, where we had around 242 shooting victims to last year. Uh, we where we had 594 shooting victims, and we have the dubious dis- distinction of surpassing that number this year. So is this the new norm, and that's the concern that we have. Okay, just before we uh, move on to uh, Mr. Mendicino, though, uh, what can you tell us about this particular uh, incidence of, of gang war? Because that seems to suggest that it might be a surge that might pass. Yeah, but, but again, the data doesn't support uh, that it's a surge. The data supports that we have seen a steady increase in gun violence since 2014. And when we look at that on the graph, and we look at the numbers jumping from 242 to 400 to 600, almost 600, and now that seems to be the new norm. So we have seen a steady increase over a four-year period. 
uh, and it's not tapering off and it's not going down. So it's not just that there's a gang war. We've seen an increase in shooting victims, an increase in gunplay. We've seen a decrease in the size of the police service, a decrease in proactive policing, and all these components, socioeconomic components, uh, different things, gang warfare, all this is having an impact on an increase in violence. We need to do something about it now. Okay, but what can you tell us? Do you know which two gangs are involved? or? No, I, I mean, and, and we have many gangs in the city of Toronto, and, you know, at different times, it's different gangs involved in, in, in amounts of gunplay. We just had a project patent. Everybody saw that, and we saw... The over 60 firearms uh, and all these people who were involved in a gang uh, arrested, a thousand charges, and you know, <laughs> a weekend later, we have uh, 11 shootings. Okay, let's bring in Marco Mendocino, and uh, some people say part of the problem is that uh, these guys get arrested and then they get bailed pretty easily, even if a gun was involved, and they're back out on the street creating uh, mayhem and hurting people. Well, first let me begin by uh, thanking Mike uh, for being on the show and for all the work that his members and the Chiefs uh, members do on the on the police force. Uh, it's because of their hard work that we actually live in, a, in, in generally a, a safe community, safe city, safe country, where we see rates that are, have gone down across uh, the spectrum, except for gun violence. And, and Mike is right that at least uh, nationally, since 2013, we've seen that gun violence has gone up about 30 percent. And everybody's watching, um, you know, this, the recent spike in Toronto with a lot of concern. Um, these are not just big aggregate numbers. I mean, for me as a Toronto area MP that represents the riding of Eglinton Lawrence, where Lawrence Heights is located, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in that community every day. I was there this morning, and you speak to the, uh, the mothers and the fathers, and you speak to the people that live in the community, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's deeply concerning uh, to, to see that people, innocent people, are losing their lives, and we've got to do something about it. So, look, as a, again, from the federal point of view, here's what we're doing. Uh, Minister Ralph Goodale recently held a, a national summit on how to tackle gun violence. Mayor Tory was there. That's a good thing. They have an excellent rapport. They speak regularly. I'm very encouraged to hear that they'll be speaking at some point in the very near future. In addition to that summit, where we got a lot ideas flowing about how to reduce gun violence, uh, we have invested, are going to invest $327.6 million. My sincere hope, again, as a local Toronto MP, that a lot of that uh, resourcing is going to come back to flow into the Toronto Police Services so that they get the resources that they need to tackle the, gu- um, the, the gun violence. In addition to that, Bill C-71, which is um, precisely targeted at reducing gun violence in two critical ways, one by enhancing background checks, and two, by standardizing record-keeping at the vendor level, at the retail level, which has been supported by um, many, many of of Mike's colleagues right across the country who work in the Toronto Police Services, the Canadian Chiefs support it. You've got to see that the legislation goes uh, hand-in-glove with sufficient resourcing, which the federal government is is committed to providing at the local level. But if you take one step back from that, we can't just rely on the criminal law to to prevent uh, gun crime. You also have to take a look at um, national strategies when it comes to reducing poverty and homelessness, and that's something 
something that our federal government is also committed to doing. Yeah, so but, there's but, no but, one silver bullet. It's got to be a comprehensive approach. We, we agree there's no silver bullet, but there are those who say that by toughening up bail conditions, uh, that would be something that could be done quickly and that would be a big help. Do you agree with that? Well, let me clarify that, um, again, under the criminal code, which is a federal uh, piece of legislation, that there are already reverse onus provisions if the person is charged with an offense that involves a gun, uh, a firearm. And, and so um, there is already an appropriate burden placed on the individual uh, who has alleged to have committed uh, some, some crime that involves gun violence. But ultimately, those decisions are taken by um, the prosecutor and the parties that are involved at the bail stage. I'm a former federal prosecutor. I spent a lot of my uh, early part of my career working at Old City Hall, uh, where these charges would come in routinely. So there needs to be good judgment. There needs to be, um, you know, uh, a set of policy guidelines which are in place, which are done in conjunction uh, with with the provincial uh, crown attorneys as well. So. That's just one aspect. Uh, you can't just rely on the criminal law, though, and this is the point that I made uh, towards the tail end of my, my answer to you. Okay. Um, Mike McCormick, um, is that one possible solution, making it tougher to get bail, and what, what yeah. needs to happen for that to happen? Yeah, and I agree with, um, with Marco's points. You know, there, there needs to be a broader, uh, long-term fix for this that includes all the safety nets, the social fabric, socioeconomic conditions, and, and deal with this in a long-term piece. And, and he is correct that, you know, the bail is, is a piece of that is part of a reactive. Because when we're giving people or we're putting people before the courts, we've already had them commit a criminal act. And, uh, you know, the, the charges are there. That is definitely an, an essential piece uh, towards a uh, solving this on a long-term basis. But for me, as an intern and being somebody who worked in uh, policing my entire life, the last 30 years, working in uh, high-risk communities, um, we have to do, from a triage perspective, it's great to be talking about, you know, increasing, like I say, the socioeconomic base to, to, to keep people, give people challenges, give people opportunity and stuff like that. That's going to take a little bit of time, and that's work that always needs to be done. Um, but right now, when we're experiencing this amount of gunplay and stuff, what, we have to look at what is the core. It's like walking into an operating room, then people are looking at a scratch in your arm, but your leg's missing. Like, let's deal with the, the, the immediacy of what's going on now. And that's the gunfire. And the, why are these people who are using guns uh, feel so comfortable to walk around with these guns and to use them? And, and it, it, to your point earlier, that's exactly what is happening People are carrying guns, and they're carrying them all over the place. They run into each other in public open areas, and they just exchange gunfire like it's the Old West or something. Um, and, so sorry. is it is the problem then uh, carding? Do we need to bring back some form of carding? Well, you know what? I think the carding argument is over, and, and anybody in law enforcement, to, you know, where we can sit here and say, I can give you examples of how you know, that type of uh, street check or whatever intelligence gathering was useful in solving uh, investigations or all kinds of stuff. But again, what we've heard is the community has said, look, it, it's too uh, invasive. It's too corrosive around the relationship between the police and the community. And we don't want to see it. So that's great. The politicians, everybody said, OK, we're going to get rid of this. And what they did is they get, got rid of that tool and they gave police nothing to take the, the place of that tool, which is a community-based proactive policing component, 
which is non-existent in Toronto. So what we're saying is that if you're going to take that tool away, then we need to have officers embedded in the communities so they can foster relationships, gather intelligence, and become a community place, and get us that intelligence in, in, in other means to prevent. What I'm talking about is a proactive piece, which has completely been eliminated in Toronto, and it's no surprise that we have this amount of shootings. If somebody's worked at a, at a high-risk community, having police presence, having visible police officers, having that intelligence, it, there, there's no replacement for it. And when you don't have it, you have an environment like this where people are, my members are telling me, Mike, you, you know, it, they, they laugh about the amount of gunplay that's going on that is so ridiculous because the media, you're reporting on, you know, the people who are murdered. We have, as I said, when we talk about the shooting victims, 594 last year, almost 600, oh, it'll be over 600 this year. And the, anybody who lives in those neighborhoods, you'll hear them say, wait till you, you come up to our neighborhood and you'll hear gunfire on a daily basis. And that's what we have to have. We have to have police in those neighborhoods when we have a service that's reduced by 800 police officers in eight years, it's going to have an impact. And, and I believe that that's one of the factors that is having an impact. Okay, uh, before we uh, get to uh, our callers who are patiently waiting, Marco Mendicino, do you have a view on carding and whether some form or some compromise on it uh, should be brought back? Well, it's not for the federal government to dictate the policy of, of um, you know, local police services, yes, I get provincial that. police services. As a general proposition, um, you know, we have to adhere to uh, the, the charter and the law, which says that people, uh, that, that any state interaction, not just police, uh, but any any branch of government um, can interact with people uh, in a way that is discriminatory or in, or in a way that is just random. There has to be articulable cause for uh, for for uh, you know uh, police to to engage. But that doesn't mean that um, people are completely insulated from otherwise positive interactions between um, you know uh, police who are going about their duty and their job and 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 trying to keep the community safe. So I, obviously. In, in, in that issue, uh, there needs to be an ongoing constructive dialogue so that we can keep our community safe, so that people can enjoy their, their right to be otherwise free from any state intervention. And we want to and we want to continue to have that dialogue. But in the meantime, I, I just come back to this, the, the central point that in order to solve and tackle uh, gun violence and organized crime, you can't just rely on the criminal law. If you're relying on the criminal law, you're already way downstream and you're um, essentially engaging in a reactive way. Um, we have to have serious conversations around affordable housing, around access to transit, around access to health care, and in particular, mental health care. We know that a disproportionately high percentage of, of inmates federally have some mental health issue. That's another, um, that's another priority of, of this government. Yeah, I don't think gang members, uh, a large proportion of them have mental health issues. Well, I'm not so sure that I agree with that proposition. Uh, and I'm not saying that uh, in a way, any other way except to be constructive. We, we just know by, by virtue of understanding the people that, that find their way into the criminal justice system, that, that, that there tends to be a propensity to have some issue around mental health. I mean, that's well documented, and we need to, to, to understand that so that when these individuals are released back into uh, the community, and the vast majority of people who spend time in jail are released back into the community, that they're uh, positioned to contribute positively. If we don't uh, if we don't address rehabilitation while they're serving their time for the crimes that they've been uh, justifiably convicted for, uh, then we run the risk of reoffense. But more to the point, we want the individuals who are who who are in those 
in those critical moments where they have to make a decision about whether or not they're going to engage in criminal activity or whether or not they're going to pursue an education, uh, a job, you know, be a law-abiding uh, citizen as we expect the vast majority of our people to, to do, um, that they have the supports that are in place. And that is uh, something that this government is has been committed to since day one and will continue to be going forward. Okay, well, um, let's take a couple of calls. Uh, we've got Mary in Burlington. Hi, Mary. Hi, how are you today? Fine, how are you? Not bad, thank you. Very interesting topic. Now, I am wondering whose rights are we protecting, the criminal or the innocent person? I am sick and tired of hearing about this, uh, this, the, these people who have to be given all the protection and consideration. What about the victim who's done nothing? The entire justice system regarding gun and other types of violent crimes must be reviewed intelligently. Mary, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that to our guest callers. Thank you very much for that. So, so Libby, like you know, this, uh, when I hear Marco talking about you know the the sort of systemic or institutional issues that need to be dealt with, uh, like we all agree on that, and that's again a long term, broader fix. You know, we we have to you know. Yeah, but the, sure. you know, there are a lot of people who say, okay, uh, you know, blaming um, all of that stuff on for the violence is is uh, not necessarily the case. Right. There are a lot of right. because a lot of the victims come from those very same circumstances. Yeah, but here here's the thing, and this is where where I was getting to, and that's that's great for a long term. But let's talk about you know, I, I mean, the Marco brought up mental health stuff, but let's talk about what's going on right now in Toronto. Exactly. The let's talk about. And the shootings and what we have are we have communities that so when i started as a police officer and i'll never forget when we got our first gun like people would come in off the road and go hey look at that oh my god you got a gun and they would we'd be looking at it being shocked that you got a, a firearm when i was just in 51 division the other day where they recovered 10 firearms in less than a week handguns they have pictures of all the handguns that they've recovered it, so far this year, and the walls are full of them. When I was a young police officer, people used to settle the disputes with boots and fists. Now they're gone. So now we have a generation of kids who are, and, and when I say kids, a lot of these shooters are in their teens, in their early 20s. They've grown up seeing people who have been shot, people who have been murdered. So they get desensitized and sort of embedded into this culture of the gun. And now this has become commonplace. So I mean, what we have to do is we have to deal with that. We have to deal with the people who are carrying guns right now, make them uncomfortable to be carrying in gu- these guns, get them with the guns, arrest them before they use them, get them off the street. And to your point, what you brought up earlier, and to what Jennifer was saying, you cannot allow a subculture of the gun where people feel comfortable walking the guns. They have to say, I'm, am I going to bring my gun out? And if I am, I'm going to get caught and I'm going to go to jail. It has to be a proactive piece. This reactive piece is not working, and and that's what uh, it seems like the mayor is, is not catching on to. Okay, we'll get we'll get that uh, in a minute. Let's uh, hear from Linda in Toronto. Hello, Hi, Linda. Hi, Libby. I'm so glad you have this topic, and and thank you to our police. Where would we be without the police? I shiver thinking if we didn't have them. But I only have three words to say, and lots of exclamation marks after the three words. Bring back carding. 
If you have nothing to hide, you don't mind showing the police your ID. They're here to serve and protect us. Here, here's our ID. If you don't want to show ID, you're hiding something. Well, um, okay, Linda, thanks. I'm going to put okay, that to Mike McCormick. But, but, but there definitely is an issue. I mean, young black men, there's no question that a lot of them are targeted for doing nothing at all, harassed by police. But, but I, I put this to both Marco Mendicino and Mike McCormick. I mean, surely there is some kind of middle ground option where you can stop bad guys and and avoid you know harassing people who yeah. have... I, I mean that that's a challenge and again like i can sit here and talk about the street checks and what they were and the, the ability and, and i'm sure marco as a federal crown and 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 also the all uh, knows when we, we would do wiretaps and part sixes that the information that we were able to gather through this uh method was instrumental in in, in having sort of uh, expedited intelligence, getting raw intelligence in a very quick and precise manner, uh, in, in you know, uh, in a way. Um, but we've heard from the community, and the community has said, and, and to your last caller, the community has said, "Look, no, the damage this is doing to the community far outweighs the value to the police." So I'm saying, okay, if you're going to do that, then give us the resources we need to put the officers in the community. The government can't say, okay, we're going to get rid of this tool. And not give you something, like make a commitment, and when you don't make that commitment, you're going to have exactly what we're having. But there there are, uh, what, about 200 police officers being hired uh, by the end of 2018? You say that's not enough. Well, here, so let's, yeah, but this is where, you know, the frustration starts in with our members and stuff. So our service has gone down from 5,635 to just over 4,800 now. So we are down 800 police officers in the last eight years. When we hear 200 police officers this year, everyone goes, wow, we're getting to But what is the reality? The reality is we only have 57 officers uh, hired, and that'll be lucky if we see the last 17 deployed. We've only got 40 now. We're going to have an additional 17. So this whole notion of 200, when I hear 200 police officers, I think, wow, we're going to see 200 police officers on the street. We Even if we can get those 200 police officers hired and trained, we won't even see that till late 2019. And by 20, and so far, maybe this year, or sorry, the last 18 months, 443 police officers have left. And they're saying we're going to replace that with 57. We have no proactive policing time. Okay. No proactive let policing me just, okay. time. Can I, can I, Libby, can yes, I just pick please. up quickly on the resources yeah. point? Because this ties back into uh, what I said in my original answer about the federal government providing $327.6 million to tackle gun violence, which is the issue that we're discussing right now, which is the issue that is affecting this, this city in a, in a very negative and concerning way. So, look, uh, the Toronto area MPs uh, and I are all uh, of the same mind. We want to see as much of that pot go to uh, the mayor, which will then flow to the Toronto Police Service, so that uh, Mike and his colleagues get the resources that they need. Um, we know that the mayor is uh, is leading a, a, a revitalization uh, discussion around how to best use Toronto Police Services, but he also said this morning that he's committed to adding the resources that are necessary. So the way that we can get um, the, the police officers and the boots on the ground that are necessary so that people feel safe, so that gun violence is being reduced proactively, is to ensure that those uh, ensure that they're, they're getting the resources in a timely way, and we'll do whatever we can to make sure that that happens. Okay, uh, let's uh, try to get in a, a couple more calls. Uh, Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. Hey, it's the same old 
politicians just repeating the same old stuff. Okay, I can't. Bill, you're, you have a bad line. Sorry. Okay. Uh, let's go to Angela in Toronto. Hi. Hey. You're on yes. the air. Go ahead. Yes. My question is, how are we getting so many guns to come into the country? Yeah. Um, so, Libby, it's Marco. Maybe yeah. I, I can speak to this. One, yeah. one, one uh, con- other concerning trend uh, that, that we've noticed is that um, it's not just uh, illegal guns which are flowing uh, unlawfully across the border. I mean, that continues to be an issue, and Minister Goodale has talked about uh, how we're beefing up resources through CBSA and other law enforcement actors um, along, uh, you know, what I would describe as the hot spots where there's uh, illegal gun trafficking across both sides of the border. But we're seeing as well uh, an increasing uh, amount of uh, guns which are being uh, trafficked uh, illegally uh, within Canada's borders, and I know this is an issue that that affects Toronto, um, and and so this, this this is where Bill C seventy one is crucial. Um, the firearms reform law that was just tabled last spring before Parliament rose uh, for the summer recess, and this is an issue that I know that Minister Goodale spoke about at the national summit. Uh, it's an issue that I've been up on my feet uh, to speak about in the House of Commons. Uh, it's an issue that I uh, was uh, was recently interviewed about when there was uh, a shooting fatality at Playtime Bowling, which is in my riding, and again uh, another uh, woman shot and killed uh, a little more than 72 hours ago over the yeah. weekend in the week hours in Lawrence Heights. Um, We need more comprehensive background checks. We need to be sure that vendors and retailers are keeping uh, accurate records so that uh, we know uh, where, uh, which guns, which are in lawful possession or lawfully possessed, uh, what the, where that that occurs. But then we also need to be sure that within the boundaries that we're uh, appropriately tightening up um, the, the the transportation of those of those firearms, because we know that what happens is that in some cases, guns are lawfully purchased, but then they're being diverted to organized crime, and we need to be sure that the legislative framework and the policy frameworks are in place to prevent that from happening, and that will provide uh, law enforcement, including police services, with the tools they need to to, to stop that from occurring. That's how we start to choke off the flow of otherwise legal firearms into the hands of organized crime and gangs. And I hope this is something that that, that Mike can get behind, because we need as many people speaking in support of Bill C-71 as possible. And you've already seen the Canadian chiefs come out in favor of it. There have been a number of other uh, third parties who said that this is good policy, and we're hoping the TPA will be one of those groups that gets behind it as well. Okay. Uh, Mike, uh, we have to wrap this up for today. I have a hunch we're going to be revisiting this topic Um very very soon uh, but where where are we at like where are we at in tackling with this problem mike mccormick uh you know what I, I, and, and like I, I appreciate like the the role that the federal government and marshall and and the government uh, bill uh, 71 and stuff uh, pushing that forward uh we supported the the, the registry the long gun registry um you know those are all great uh, things to, to be working on in little pieces of the puzzle that need to be done. But where we are is, you know, uh, I'm tired of the rhetoric around this is the safest city in North America. What I've heard, and I, I've said this publicly a number of times, it's time to stop going out and giving your condolences and start going in and saying, aren't you glad that we stopped this and, and prevented it? And until I see an action plan, and that's why I reached out to Premier Ford uh, to have a meeting with the mayor, ourselves, anyone else in police services. And, and to Marco's point, we've got to get people at the table. I haven't seen an action plan uh, 
that is really stemming uh, this violence. And that's something we're in discussion with the chief uh, and our members are saying to, to me on a regular basis, Mike, we need to get the resources and we need them now to, to just let's from a triage stop. Of, uh, and I hate to be crass about it, but to stop the bleeding now. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much to Mike McCormick, uh, President of the Toronto Police Association, and Marco Mendicino, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Justice and the Attorney General. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.